We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. In a light vein, in a kind of doggerel verse. This question is worth asking. I went to church the other day to free my soul from sin. I was looking for the preacher, but the preacher wasn't in. The sexton then assured me that there'd be no use in waiting. The preacher's gone away, he said, to do some demonstrating. But what I want to know, I said, and I will make myself quite clear. While they're off demonstrating, who's running things down here? Who's taking care of sinners? Who's leading us in prayer? Who's feeding all the lost sheep that wander by right here? Who's baptizing babies? And another thing I said, Who's looking out for sick folks and blessing all the dead? The sexton was a wise old man with a twinkle in his eye. He looked at me and scratched his head and this was his reply. Son, what I'm going to say to you might strike you kind of odd. But since no one's here to help, put your question up to God. So I asked him all those things last night when I bent my knee in prayer. O oh Lord, I prayed, please tell me, who's running things down here? The Lord sent down an angel. It was enough to make me sob when the angel said, The devil, and he's doing a damn good job. Can any of you priests or religious think of any book that has been written by theologians on Satan in relationship to the modern world? Our theologians are silent. I read one book on the last things in which there was no mention of hell, no mention of the devil. Our spokesmen are saying nothing. If you want to know what is going on in the world... Search the deep and profound literature. I'm not speaking of books of the month. They are too ephemeral. 
I'm speaking of great poets, deep thinkers. What is their judgment? Perhaps if we find time at the end, I may mention a few more. But just at the beginning, William Butler Yeats. See how fearful he is concerning what is about to happen? Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are these words out of my mouth when a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it Real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know. The twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. In other words, the poet is expecting the Antichrist. William H. Oud, another poet. We priests who studied Greek and had so much trouble with Xenophon's Anabasis are familiar with the words There is a going up and there is a coming down. The coming down is the catabasis. Heroic charity is rare. Without it, what except despair can shape the hero who will dare the desperate catabasis into the snarl of the abyss that always lies just underneath our jolly picnic on the heath of the agreeable? In other words, the satanic is under us. Nietzsche. Nietzsche, the son of a Lutheran minister, who wrote some beautiful poetry as a young man about Christ on the cross. And then he wrote a book called The Antichrist and went mad. He was a great friend of Richard Wagner, the musician. And he sat at his piano, not playing it with his fingers, but pounding and thumping it with his fists, shouting and shrieking against the person of Christ. And he went mad. This is how he tells of the Antichrist. We have American philosophers who announce that God is dead. Nietzsche was the first to do it in our time. He makes a madman say that God is dead. 
Interesting, isn't it? Have you not heard of the madman who lit a lantern at noonday and ran to the marketplace and cried out, I'm looking for God. The madman leaped in their midst and pierced them with a glance. Where is God gone? I will tell you. We have slain him. You and I. So he makes us guilty. We have slain him, you and I. How did we do it? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe out the whole horizon? What did we do when we unchained this earth from its sun? Where is it moving to now? The night is coming, and evermore night. Must we not light our lantern, lanterns at noon? Do we not hear the noise of the grave diggers as they bury God? God is dead, we have slain him. And how shall we console ourselves? Chief of all murderers, the holiest and most powerful that the world has ever possessed, has ebbed its life away beneath our knives. Who will wipe the blood from our fingers? What water can make us clean? What propitiations and sacred rites will we have, will we have to invent? Must we not ourselves become gods? In order to be worthy of it. And the madman fell silent. And I looked at his hearers again. They were all silent. At last he threw his lantern on the crowd so that it broke into, into the crowd round and it broke into pieces and he went on. I've come too early. It is not yet my time. But this monstrous event is on the way. The Antichrist. So we do not talk about the devil unless he becomes the hero of dramas and movies and novels. But we who have the faith are silent about him. Now, who is the devil? I will try to explain the devil from the psychiatric point of view and then from the biblical. First of all, from the psychiatric point of view. As I was saying, our theologians are not writing about the devil, but Rollo May of Harvard University and the Rockefeller Institute has written three chapters in his work on psychiatry on the demonic. What is the diabolic from the psychiatric point of view? He analyzes the word diabolic from the Greek word diabaline. Diabaline is a tearing apart. Opposite of synbaline, which is pulling things together. He said, whatever creates discord, breaks up unity, 
destroys pattern. That is the diabolic. Have we seen it in the church? Is there a breaking up of our priesthood? Is there a division among the sisters? Ever since we split the atom, the world has been split. And then he goes on to analyze the three marks of the diabolic. Nudity, aggressiveness, and schizophrenic mentality. Nudity. Nudity is based upon the idea that nature is good, that it never fell, that we do not have to go back into Eden through a flaming sword. Nudity, therefore, is the affirmation that we must not have any artificiality about us. And nudity has crept into the church. See, some of us priests and some of us sisters do not like to be too identified with Christ. We denude the collar. We take off the habit. We rip the crucifix. The diabolic. Unwilling to go before men, I'm Christ. Aggressiveness, violence. Are your streets safe? Are you afraid to go out at night? Schizophrenic mentality. The increase of mental cases in the United States. And these three marks that he gives, he does not correlate to the demonic whom our blessed Lord meant, uh, met in the land of the Gerardines, or Gadarenes, whichever you please. That young man who was possessed by the devil is described in the gospel, first of all, as naked. Secondly, he was violent. So violent, in fact, that he could not even be bound by chains. And thirdly, he had a split mentality. He didn't know who he was. Our Lord said, what is your name? My name is Legion. A legion was 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. My name is Legion, for we are many. See, my, we. And the Lord finally had to drive the devil out of the man. What then is the mark of the demonic from the psychiatric point of view? Division, splitting, confusion, disruption. What is the demonic from the biblical point of view? If we go to the 16th chapter of Matthew, our blessed Lord had just given the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter. And then he said to Peter that he must become a victim for the sins of the world. He must go up to Jerusalem 
to be delivered over to the Gentiles and to be crucified. And Peter said, this shall not be. We're willing that you be a priest, but we're not willing that you be a victim. We're willing to have a divine Christ, but we'll not have a suffering one. No. And our Lord says, get behind me. Satan, behind me. Do not try to lead me. I lead you, Satan. Imagine, Peter, the rock. Now the devil. Why did our Lord call him Satan? And remember that was personal. Personal. Why? Well, go back to the beginning of our Lord's public life. And our Lord went into the desert to be tempted by the devil. What were the three temptations of Satan? They were three shortcuts from the cross. For the essence of the demonic from the biblical point of view is contempt of the cross. So Satan says to our blessed Lord, you are here to be a teacher of men. You wish to draw men to yourself. I will tell you how to do it. See those little stones down there? They look like loaves of bread, do they not? You're hungry. You have not eaten for forty days. Satisfy your hunger. Turn them into bread. Remember, you've got a hunger instinct. Everybody Everybody's got a need. Got a sex instinct. You've got a power instinct. You're never going to win the world by suppressing that instinct. Let them go their way. Let them be free. That was the first short cut from the cross. And the second short cut from the cross was, Satan says, what do people love? They love wonders. Something that makes them say, oh, side of the moon. Try again, they will not look at you the second or third time you go. They will not even remember your name, so give them new wonders. But always satisfy their desire for technological marvels. So throw yourself down from this steeple unhurt. Let the angels protect you. Do something spectacular. But do not go to the cross. This is the way to win men. And the third temptation which is the grave temptation which the church will face increasingly in the next 50 years. Satan said, theology is politics. Forget souls, forget salvation, forget guilt, forget sin. Just politics, that's all. And as if he held the shiny globe of the earth in his hand, was Satan for once telling the truth? 
Or was he lying when he said, All these kingdoms are mine. They're mine. And you can have them if you just bow down and adore me. Now we go back to the temptation, or rather to the word Satan used by our Lord. When Peter said, we do not want you to be a victim, we do not want a cross, we do not want sacrifice, we do not want discipline, our Lord called him Satan, because that's precisely what Satan did at the beginning of his public life, to tempt him from the cross. And that was the last temptation that was made by Satan's agents on the cross. Just come down and we'll believe. Now, for those who have been following this retreat from the beginning, you can see why Christ is priest and victim, and it's the victimhood that hurts. And when we separate that victimhood from Christ, we're doing the same thing that Satan did. When we push it out of our priestly lives, we're diabolic. And it's happening everywhere. The decline of the love of the cross and discipline, mortification. About the only place that discipline is left in the United States. It is not in our seminaries. It is not in our schools is at West Point, Annapolis, the Air Force Academy, and especially the professional football fields. There's discipline there. But the demonic has thrown out sacrifice. So we have it in the church. We have it among ourselves. And that is why when I see, for example, any, any denuding of Christ in any way by those of us who are given to him, I cannot tell you how my heart is torn. Because what do I see? I see the demonic. And it's there. It is there. Believe me, I can see it when I talk. There are places where I have given retreats where the talking of Christ disturbed some souls. They almost writhed in the pews. Somebody else had their soul. Though they kept the name and the appearance of Christ. Listen. There are ten thousand times ten thousand roads down which we may travel. It makes no difference which, but at the end of those roads, We are going to meet one or the other of two faces. 
we are either going to meet the beatific face of Christ or we are going to meet the miserific face of Satan. It makes no difference what road you go. You're going to face one or the other. There's no escape. And they act toward us quite differently. In fact, in opposite ways. Let me tell you how they act in relationship to sin or temptation. In temptation or in sin, Christ always seems as our opponent. He's in the way. He disturbs. The devil, he's our friend. After we sin, the Lord is the friend. And the devil, the accuser. Let us develop this a bit. Before we sin or while we are tempted, Christ seems to be in the way. Why do we have to go to Mass? Why do we have to obey the commandments? That crucifix is in the way. I don't mind the statue of Buddha. I can tickle the tummy of Buddha, and he doesn't bother me a bit, but that crucifix, somehow or other, it involves me. It almost points to me. I feel kind of guilty. And so Christ is there almost shaking a finger. No. Do not go the way of the world. Don't be with it. There's one... Poet put it, this is what we say, go bitter Christ, grim Christ, haul if thou wilt thy bloody cross to own black Calvary. When did I bid thee suffer for my guilt, to lay intolerable chains on me? I loathe thy sacrifice, I'm sick of thee. They say thou reignest from the cross, thou dost, and like a tyrant thou dost rule by tears, thou womanish son of woman. Cease to thrust thy sordid tale of sorrow in my ears, jarring the music of my few short years. And so Christ is our opponent. When the hound of heaven finally caught up with the soul, in Francis Thompson's Hound of Heaven, the soul asks, Must all thy fields be dung with rotten death? In other words, before you can have pasture, before you can have any kind of a crop, must you fertilize it with manure and with death? Must all thy fields be dung with rotten death? Is thy love a weed, an amaranthine weed, that suffers no flowers to mount except its own? And that's the way Christ appears while we're being tempted. He's in the way. Church is in the way. But Satan? Oh, that's different. Satan? 
Haven't you read about the Vatican Council? They've changed all this. Do you mean to say you're still a virgin? Why? Why don't you get hip with it? Why don't you take a little LSD? It doesn't hurt. You've never been drunk. You haven't lived. You know, we're not doing these things anymore. Don't pay any attention to your parents. The church, that's passe. You've got to live your own life. Be yourself. Do your thing. Whatever the thing is, just be with it. And if you don't, the crowd won't like you. That's the demon. He's our defender. After we sin, after we sin, Christ is our defender. Come to me. If your sins are as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. And if they are as red as crimson, they shall be made white as wool. Forgive seven times, nay, seventy times seven. And St. Peter, who denied and who was fearful of Christ and hid from him in the courtyard, now, later on, attacks the judges in court and boldly affirms Christ. He's our joy. We have inner peace. Our defense. But after we sin, who is Satan? What is Satan called in the scripture? The accuser. Now look what you've done. No chance now you've ruined yourself. You might just as well go on smoking drugs. You might just as well go on fornicating. What difference does it make? You've already lost your virginity. Forget about it. Then you try to cover it up with more and more of it, adding zero to zero. And the devil says, see, 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 you're dead now. And he accuses you and he awakens you at night. And that is one of the reasons why the welfare state, one of the welfare states of Scandinavia, with all of the comforts supplied by the state, with unbridled sex license, leads the world in suicide. And Judas, who listened to the devil, himself committed suicide. This is the difference. We're succumbing. For example, you say to a layperson, to a priest, or to a nun. But do you not know that this is not the way we're supposed to live? What do they say? Oh, well, you're behind the times. Oh, you're not with it. That's the devil. But when we come to Christ, then, as the last verse ends, O king, O captain, wasted one with scourging, strong beyond speech and wonderful with woe, 
Whither, relentless, wilt thou still be urging thy maimed and halt that have not strength to go? Peace, peace, I follow. Why must we love thee so? And so this is the time of retreat. For any of us who are getting worldly, who are ashamed of Christ, who are breaking up uniformity, to get away from the devil before it's too late. You know, the devil doesn't have to work very hard anymore. I, a few years ago, when Mrs. Luce went out to Hollywood to do a film on Satan, I called her and I said, uh, Have you met Satan out there? No, she said, he doesn't work here. He just sleeps here. He doesn't have to work. And C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, developed the character of Screwtape and Wormwood. Screwtape Letters is one of the books in which there's correspondence between a young devil on earth and an old devil is in hell. Screwtape is the old devil. And the nephew devil is on earth. And he coaches the young devil how to win people. For example, in the first letter that he writes to Wormwood, he said, listen, he said, you're trying to win these young people. And you're using the wrong tactic. You are saying to them, what we're telling you is the truth. Don't talk that way. That's the way the enemy talks. God. God is interested in truth. You must never talk about truth to the young. You must say, are you modern? Are you up to date? Are you with it? That's all they're interested in. Then you'll find you've got hundreds and thousands of young people. So one day, old screw tape in hell is graduating a lot of devils to send up to this earth. So Scroop Tape, Scroop Tape gives the valedictory address. And the theme of the address is, honestly, we're disgusted at the kind of trash that we're getting in hell. People are selling their souls so cheaply. And this is what Scroop Tape says to them. You disgraces, my thorns, Hades and gentle devils. It would be vain to deny that the human souls on whose anguish we have been feasting tonight were of pretty poor quality. Oh, to get one's teeth into a Henry VIII or a Hitler. There was real crackling there, something to crunch. It warmed you inwards when you got it down. Instead, what do we have tonight? A mayor of a city with graft sauce. A lukewarm casserole of adulterers. Under-sex morons who blundered and trickled into the wrong bits in automatic response to sexy advertisements and to make themselves feel liberated. They are nauseating. We are tempted to say that such souls or the residual puddles of one worse souls are hardly worth damning. 
Here were vermin so muddled in mind, so passively responsive to environment, that it was hard to raise them to the deliberateness at which a mortal sin becomes possible. Conformity to social environment of the times, how should jelly not conform, now becomes an acknowledged cult of togetherness and being just folks and being with it. Our catches are more numerous than ever, and they will consist increasingly of trash. Trash which we should have thrown to the hell out for diabolical consumption. There may be a time when we will not have to bother with individual temptations at all. Almost every film star or crooner or guitarist can now draw tens of thousands of human sheep after him. It will be an ill day for us if what most humans mean by religion ever vanishes from the earth. The fine flower of unholiness can grow only in the neighborhood of the holy. In other words, the lily, when it rot, smelled the worst. My disgraces, my thorns, my shadies and gentle devils, I give you the toast of the principle of slub glub college. So the devils are complaining that they are receiving a mighty mean and ordinary free past. Now I have told you what the devil is. You are going to be facing in the years to come an increased openness of Satanism. I was in one church in California where the word Satan had been written all along the walls by someone who came in, came in during the day. In one diocese where I gave a retreat, three tabernacle veils were burned. In one week, in different churches. You see, we priests may not always have deep, profound faith in the Eucharist so that we make an hour before the But the devils believe. And that's why there's an increasing number of tabernacles that are broken in throughout the United States in order to get the whole. One young lady told me that she sacrificed her own babe and gratitude for getting a home. Can we not watch an hour the devil believe? Can we believe? This is his hour. So let us get over this worldliness and be with it. And the denuding of everything that's Christ-like. Because someday each and every one of us are going to die. And when we go down one of these thousand times, ten thousand roads, either the beatific face of Christ or the miserific face of Satan will say, Mine! Mine! Decide. Which is it?